0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and across from me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And Howdy. that makes this, say again. Howdy. This is Stuff You Should <laughs> Know. Go ahead, jump the gun there. It's okay. Awkward. I was talking a little fast. That's all right. It's a little weird.
0: How's uh, How's it going? It's going good. Good. This is a long-awaited podcast. It is. We've been putting this off for like a year. At least.
1: Maybe even two or so. Yeah. Um, there w- is a guy um, who we need to give a huge shout-out to. His name is Will Sovey.
0: Is that who wrote us of it initially?
1: Yeah, initially. He is a uh, clinician uh, who studies PTSD. He started out at Walter Reed Hospital, uh-huh. Army Hospital. Basically, he's like right there on the front lines. Not just treating, but like learning about PTSD. Right. And, uh, not only do we have to thank Will for go, basically, we, s- we handed him this document, this article, and said, Hey, how up to date is this? <laughs> and he sent back this great, like, annotated copy with all this new stuff, and basically said, yeah. This is, don't say this, don't be stupid, that kind of stuff. Um, so we have to thank not only Will, but we have to thank his wife, Meg, who is the one who originally turned Will on to stuff you should know. So oh, yeah. without Meg, we would have no will. And without will, we would probably have a grossly out of date right. and laughable PTSD
0: yeah. article to work from. That would have haunted us. We yeah. probably would have released a podcast and just pissed us off still. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you have now taken his information and redid your original article. And now we are pretty much up to date.
1: Yeah. And I need to go onto the site and like update the actual article, which is harder than oh, the sure. trams, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But to just listen to this podcast for, t- for the time being. Okay. Uh, and this is really good timing, Chuck, because I found out after we decided to do this, June is uh, PTSD Awareness Month. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And specifically, June 27th is PTSD Awareness Day. So if you have uh, a friend or a loved one or a coworker who suffers from pr- post-traumatic st- stress disorder, be extra nice to him on June 27th. Yeah. So we're talking about PTSD which is, of course, um, the abbreviation for post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. And um, th- it's not a new disorder. I, know, I, I can't imagine like when it really first came about, Yeah, although it was first described in uh, the Civil War.
0: My guess is that it came about the first time people started encountering big time stresses yeah. and traumatic events. Yeah. They just didn't know what the heck to call it. Exactly. You know?
1: Um, but it wasn't, I guess, until about the Civil War yeah. that we saw casualties on such a, a colossal level yeah. that somebody, a, a doctor named uh, Jacob Mendes Costa,
0: um described what he called Soldier's Heart. Yeah. Before that, they were just like, what's wrong with Goody Johnson? Exactly. <laughs> He's just always freaking out. Right. Yeah. Whenever like, he hears us play this song.
1: Right. Well, Goody's short for Good Wife, so there's there's a lot going on with Goody Johnson. Yeah,
0: um, I gotta
1: say he, <laughs> she, um, so de is he he calls this thing Soldier Heart, Soldier's Heart, and it basically is like, you you seem to have some sort of heart failure, it's tachycardia, right. um, you you're very much stressed out, and de said this is probably a result of some sort of, uh. Trauma from the
0: war. Right. But they initially, like you said, thought it was cardiac-based because I'm sure dudes right. were like, you know, my heart's racing.
1: Exactly. You know? I'm freaking out. Right. Oh, it's your heart then. It can't possibly have anything to do with your mind, which we know pretty much nothing about.
0: Right. That came about uh, during World War One when it was famously called Shell Shock. Uh, Charles Myers in 1915 described it as, and he was actually onto something here. Right. That it could have been, uh, resulting from pressure from, you know, artillery shells exploding nearby and how it affects the brain, like yeah. physically affected the brain.
1: Right. And that's actually what he's talking about is called today mild traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Which is, um, with the symptoms of which kind of overlap with PTSD. Yeah. I think we covered that in concussion
0: some, didn't we? I
1: think we probably did too.
0: Because, you know, some NFL guys or uh, former NFL players are like committing suicide now right. here and there. Yeah. Probably the same thing.
1: That was an interesting episode, wasn't it? Shell shock, yeah. So yeah, so um, Charles Myers describes mild traumatic brain uh, injuries and calls them shell shock. So if you just go slightly further afield and and um, and kind of get a little more into the psychology behind it, you arrive finally at PTSD, the modern diagnosis of which first came about in 1980.
0: Yeah, thanks to um, they really started doing a lot of studying post Vietnam. And, uh, in 1983, uh, they did a case study that really just like opened up a wealth of information to kind of get the ball rolling. Right. And since then we've studied a lot and we continue to because we're still not exactly sure the best way to treat it. Uh, and we've learned many, many things since 1980. Right. About it, like.
1: Oh, well, uh, there, there's the part of the brain that stores memories of fearful incidents. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. Yeah. The size of that can have uh, an effect on whether or not you're at risk for PTSD.
0: Sure. Some folks are more prone than others. Uh, we'll t- get to all this in more detail, of course. Um, like women may not get it as much. Right. Than as men.
1: Uh, how, how much danger you perceived yourself to be in, how intense the danger was, how yeah. long the danger went on for. Yeah. All of those are contributing factors to the development of PTSD.
0: Yeah, and it's, and like you said, perception is the key because it's your perceived reaction to it. It's not necessarily the guy next to you might not have had any right. Uh, reaction. Right. You know? And gone through the same incident. Maybe two people are in the same car accident. Yeah. One person can have it, one person might not.
1: Right. And it, it can be that can be exclusively based on the perception of the event.
0: Yeah. Um you were saying we're still learning
1: about it. It's true. We don't have even numbers on the number of people with PTSD. That's shocking. I think the V yeah, I think the VA estimated um as many as eight hundred thousand veterans alone yeah. have PTSD.
0: Well, I think I say it's shocking, but it is It can also be confused with things like depression and just generalized anxiety. So It's very specific, PTSD, so I I sort of get that.
1: Right, but it has a huge effect on people like depression and anxiety disorders in general do. Yeah. Um, PTSD specifically is known to um, increase unemployment, uh, failed marriages, domestic violence, and homelessness.
0: And suicide.
1: Yeah, suicide's a big one, too. Um, We have no idea... How many PTSD sufferers commit suicide? But in 2010, I believe, Chuck, um, 22 veterans a day, active and um, former military, a day, 22, were committing suicide in, I believe, 2010. Not all of those are necessarily PTSD-related, but once we have a better idea of how many people have PTSD, how many people who have PTSD, commit suicide, I have a feeling the numbers are just going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, I think you're right. Because we're still, I mean, we're, we're only like a few generations removed from the concept of shell shock. Yeah, that's you know? true.
0: And then even more from soldier's heart. Yeah. And even more from what's wrong with Goody Johnson. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Throw her in the lake. Right, exactly. See if she swims. Uh, okay, so I guess let's get down to brass tacks. Um, simply define it as a set of symptoms that result from a trauma. Um we hear about a lot in military, obviously, because they experience very intense mm-hmm. trauma more than most folks do. Right, uh, but it can come about from um, accident, uh, an assault, mm-hmm. um, natural disaster, anything that you perceive as traumatic. It can come about.
1: Yeah, it can. It can. The death of a loved one. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a, tra- a trauma that happens directly to you. It can right. indirectly affect you, and you can still develop PTSD from it. That's true. Um, but the thing is, is there's. Uh, if if somebody experiences a trauma, who's uh-huh. not going to develop PTSD, they normally shake it off, right? So there's actually yeah. some some criteria for an actual PTSD diagnosis, um, so you have to the the symptoms basically have to present themselves over a certain period of time. For a certain length of time. Right. And certain symptoms have to appear. And the cornerstone of what's called the um, symptom cluster of PTSD, all the symptoms you put together to form a diagnosis. Yeah. The cornerstone of those is re-experience.
0: Yeah, and some of that can happen, but <clears throat> the thing I kept coming across in these studies is what they called excessive retrieval. Mm-hmm. So just like, you know, it's one thing to get in an accident and be a little weird next time you drive in the rain. Right or more careful or whatever. Right, but excessive retrieval means that it's like consuming your life, uh, nightmares, day terrors. Right. Uh, I mean, you name it. Like a song can spark it. Yeah. And you're just re-experiencing this thing over and over in your mind.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be from something like a song, like the song that was playing on the radio when your car you crashed your car. Right um to trigger it can just come without any apparent trigger whatsoever. Yeah. And the big problem with this is not just like, oh man, that was such a bummer that that happened to me. It's your brain is remembering this in such a way that the the same chemical cascade takes place yeah. as it did when you were initially going through it. So for all intents and purposes, at that moment, you're fully going through that same experience again. Yeah. And this happens again and again. And again, yeah. And again, and that's the re-experience of uh, the trauma, and that's the cornerstone symptom of PTSD.
0: Yeah, that's what of uh, one of what they call symptom clusters. One of four. Right. Uh, the other three are avoidance, which is obviously speaks for itself. You're going to avoid thinking about it. Avoid, you know, let's say you're in the military, you might not go to Fourth of July celebrations or right. other yeah. places where there're big booms. Right. Um, numbness. Um, doing anything you can to numb it, withdrawing alcohol and drugs. Yeah, that can be a big
1: problem with PTSD.
0: Going into it and afterward, right? Right. And if you already
1: had a uh, drug or alcohol problem and you you develop PTSD, that right. can be a really hard thing to treat and yeah. separate.
0: Uh, and the last one there is hyperarousal, which basically um, when you see movies, they'll portray it this way in movies a lot, as a soldier that's just jumpy and irritable and uh, can't sleep, they feel unsafe, sort of paranoid. Always on guard. Yeah. It's like your uh,
1: fight-or-flight response is always on.
0: Yeah. And That's got to be exhausting.
1: Yeah. Well, we talked about like you can die from that kind of thing, from prolonged stress, heightened stress. Yeah. Like it depletes your immune system, and um, you can die as a result. And that's one of the, the hallmarks of PTSD is you're just constantly on guard. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine how tired you must be. Plus, you can't sleep on top of that. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a pretty awful condition to to have. Um, and uh, one of the one of the criteria for diagnosing this is that it's it's not short. This can go on a very long time. Right. Um, there's three three different types. There's acute, which is um, o- acute PTSD. The symptoms come on uh, and last about three months. Right.
0: Yeah, it has to – to be PTSD. it has to go beyond the one-month period.
1: Right. After that, it's kind of – most people, I guess, shake off a trauma within in a month. A, within a month. Yeah. yeah. If it keeps going on after that, then you're in PTSD territory. If it lasts three months, that was acute PTSD. Yeah. And you're probably, you are probably should consider yourself lucky – that, that's all it was. Yeah, that's true. You could also develop chronic PTSD, um, where the symptoms last more than three months and possibly a lifetime. Yeah. Um, and then there's delayed onset, where the symptoms don't show up for at least six months. And then I guess it could be acute delayed onset or chronic delayed onset.
0: Yeah, and you point out here that kids can get it, too. It's not, you know, we talk about adults oftentimes, but uh, kids can present differently differently. Um, you know, really poor behavior, really needy behavior, uh, drawing things out. Right. And that's something you always see in movies, too. Like the kid drawing the plane crash right, yeah, and stuff exactly. like that. Um,
1: or acting it out
0: with dolls. Oh, yeah. That's another one, too. Uh But as they grow up, they become a little more just uh regular adult symptoms if they haven't, you know, uh, gotten over it by then, which is super right.
1: sad. Yeah. Uh, So for a very long time, Chuck, researchers thought that uh, everyone is at equal risk of developing PTSD after going through trauma. Right. But they found, um, I guess from studying really hardcore since that 1983 Vietnam study, um, that there's actually risk factors and protective factors that can keep people from developing PTSD or can make you more likely to develop PTSD. Yeah. One of the big ones is um, if you've already experienced a prior trauma.
0: Yeah, because um, it's additive, so it can actually mount up these things over the years, and then there could be one final trauma that finally triggers the PTSD. Sure, and, and you're more likely to if you've experienced these things.
1: Exactly, and you were saying like the military is at greater risk than the average person because yeah. they they are experienced a prolonged intense trauma, and um, there, it seems to me that PTSD is moving. Very quickly toward an almost entirely brain-based model. Yeah, um, and one of the reasons why is they're finding like all these chemicals and and um, genetic markers. Yeah, that are responsible for different aspects, and it's like this clear picture is emerging. One of the big ones is a glucocorticoid. <laughs> yeah, that's I, right. I got it. No, that's a good skill. Uh, it's a class of uh, brain hormones, and they help control our stress response. So, yeah. we were talking about how, um, if you experience one trauma, you, your glucocorticoid, um, levels are uh-huh. depleted. Yeah. Cause it's like, come on, let's just hang in there. We'll hang in there. If you get another, if you experience another trauma and those hormones are depleted already, yeah, then you're going to experience the fear and stress of that far more acutely than you would have had your glucocorticoid levels been normal. Yeah. That's why it's compounding an additive.
0: Well, and they also have found that um, cortisol, which is a glucocorticoid, elevated levels of this can affect your memory in a negative way, yeah. which can be positive if you have PTSD. So they did a study in 2008, a uh, three-month blind, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, our well, favorite kind.
1: That sounds like a real deal.
0: <laughs> where they gave these uh, three soldiers... low uh, low doses of cortisol or hydrocortisone, Mm -hmm. and um, they found significant effects uh, with no side effects and even evidence of prolonged effect. So um, I know later on in the article, you talk about... One of the things they're doing now is injecting people with hydrocortisone. Yeah, in like the ER. Yeah, like immediately after an event. And it, it's, it's it's basically like, shown to decrease your memory, like you just don't remember that stuff as well.
1: Yeah, and it lowers the stress response. I mean, think about this: your your, your the stress response is part of your immune system, right? Yeah. Or it's at least connected in some really close way. Right. Hydrocortisone is like an anti; it it, it dampens your immune response. Yeah. So they think that. Uh, PTSD is like maybe a heightened stress response or a heightened immune system response, and just giving somebody like a regular shot of hydrocortisone, it's it's working.
0: Yeah, that's so weird. Well, because it has to do with memory. If you're if you're decreasing your ability to remember something, you're going to increase the likelihood that you won't suffer from bad memories for sure. Right. You know,
1: um, so some other uh, risk factors and protective factors, uh, de- it, like. What type of personality you have really yeah, factors in. This makes sense. If you're an optimistic type, you're probably going to be less likely to suffer PTSD.
0: Yeah, you have in here belief that there's order to the universe. Does that is that specific to like a belief in God?
1: I think that that's one of the accepted definitions of uh, optimism or the optimistic okay. personality type. Interesting. Somebody who believes, yeah, not that it's not chaotic. That there's reasons for things. Right. Things happen for a reason.
0: I wonder if an atheist is more likely to get PTSD.
1: I could see that. Interesting. Um, but uh, it's also that other people are generally good is another, It's like the second part of that definition. So. Right.
0: Uh, if you are someone who tackles things head on and don't put your problems on the back burners, obviously this is going to, uh, wait, if you're <laughs> not putting it on the back burner, that means you're going to have a less likelihood. Right. A, yeah. Of, if, uh, I got all confused there.
1: Well, yeah, because avoidance is one of the, yeah, you symptoms. gotta deal with it. And if you have problem avoidance behavior, avoidant behavior, um, where you just like don't like to talk about problems or don't like to think about things, you just rather just kind of push it that's off. It's probably
0: true for any mental disorder. If you're not prone to tackle it head on, then it's just gonna get worse. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, well, that's one of the things about PTSD is like your memories become exaggerated and bloated and way worse even than the actual experience. Was. Right. You know?
0: Uh, if you are college graduate or maybe even just went to college, Mm -hmm. then um, you're going to be less likely to have it. And we also pointed out earlier that women are less likely to experience it than men.
1: Yeah. They're not entirely certain why. I don't know. But that's strictly from the Vietnam study, I think. Um, It was something like 36% of Vietnam veterans who experienced hardcore combat. I don't know if that's the term they use, but you know what I'm saying. Hardcore combat, yeah. 36% of males in that situation had PTSD and 18% of females did. Right. So what that's like twice as likely if you're male than a female.
0: Um, They think genes uh, may have something to do with it. Uh, They're looking to a gene called the serotonin transporter gene. And uh, there is a paper out there that indicates that if you have a mutated uh, gene, serotonin transporter gene, Mm -hmm. then it could impact your attention to environmental threats, which could impact whether or not you get PTSD. Right. Yes, PTSD. Right.
1: Jeez. So you remember we did that episode, Can My Grandfather's Diet Shorten My Life, about epigenetics? Yeah, that was a good one. Well, epigenetics possibly factor into um, PTSD as well. So epigenetics is basically where uh, the function of a gene is um affected yeah. within somebody's lifetime like changes basically right so it's like evolution on the basis of years, yeah rather than you know generations and generations right um and there was a study in Detroit of a hundred people who uh, fit the criteria for PTSD diagnosis, and they found that they had six to seven times the epigenetic changes of the control group. Yeah. And that a lot of those epigenetic changes, most of them, um, had to do with genes that that were responsible for keeping up the immune system. Interesting. Did they
0: factor in the fact that they lived in Detroit?
1: Well, what was funny, I guess, in some horribly dark, comical way, Mm -hmm. is that the researchers were from New York City, and Uh they traveled to Detroit to find 100 people with PTSD. I'm sure they could have found that in New York. I I guess they cast their lot in Detroit for some reason.
0: We love Detroit, by the way. We've yeah. been getting a lot more emails lately because I think people pick up newly and hear us yeah. trashing Detroit, and they yeah. don't realize it's been a running joke now for five years. <laughs> Almost six. Almost six years. We love Detroit. Yeah. Who doesn't? Exactly. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the most important factor with this or any other mental disorder is uh, what they call a trauma membrane, which is that support network, your friends and your family, mm-hmm. if you've got a strong one and it, a strong one in the right way, like right. you point out, it, they can be well-meaning, but the person receiving that membrane and that protection, it has to do do right by them.
1: Yeah. And they, they can't just be like, well, you know, just,
0: just, I told just you. look on the yeah. bright side, yeah. you
1: know, don't worry about that. Like, however you're... You're experiencing this and getting over it. You're doing it wrong. Do it this way. That's not going to help.
0: Right. But basically the point is if you are a single alcoholic veteran that is a loner living by yourself. And
1: doesn't like to think about your problems. Yeah,
0: and like your tiny little apartment, then you, that's like the worst case scenario for PTSD.
1: Yes. Yeah. Like we said, the military is uh, at a greater um, risk just from being exposed to these situations and being exposed to them over and over and over again. Yeah. Um. And, but one of the other reasons that the military, especially the military of late, um, is at risk is because brain injuries were the quote signature wound of the Iraq War. If you don't remember, thanks to um, roadside bombs, yeah, IEDs, um, there were a significant amount of head injuries our treatment of head injuries advanced enough so that we could save lives where they wouldn't have been before. Right. Like people were exposed to head injuries like in countless other wars. Right. But now we've gotten to the point where we can save those people's lives. Right. The problem is, is that their brains are changed. They've undergone what uh, Charles Myers called shell shock, mild traumatic brain injury, which again is almost indistinguishable and possibly one in the same in some cases as PTSD.
0: Yeah, and I imagine the uncertainty of guerrilla warfare and things like roadside bombs. Mm-hmm. Um like you can be prepped somewhat for for battle and we'll get to that here in a little bit what they're trying to do the more and more these days with that, but uh with these guerrilla tactics that are going on in the Middle East with with suicide bombers and car bombs and things like that, yeah. that's like kind of the perfect prescription for eventual PS... PTSD. Yeah. it's saying PSD. It's just easy. I'm trying to tr- take the trauma out of it.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> nice of you, Chuck. Um, yeah, we mentioned earlier, you remember, the optimistic personality is less likely, and the optimist believes in order in the universe. Well, guerrilla warfare is like the opposite of order in the universe. Yeah. So, are you starting to see like this pattern? Like, all the stuff is on the table. Yeah. It's just now a matter of connecting it. And it seems like neurology is going to be the field that does that.
0: I think so. You know? So counseling, obviously, is step one. Um, And this goes down in a couple of ways. The old favorite, uh, cognitive behavioral counseling, which Mm -hmm. we've talked about quite a bit. Right. Which
1: apparently, I'm told, by Will Sauve, is not really called that. It's cognitive processing therapy. Oh, is that what they call it I think he said, I haven't really seen it called that, but okay, in his note. So we'll stick with the cognitive processing therapy.
0: Well, uh, a couple of the aims there, um, are to basically limit the amount of that excessive retrieval to sometimes it's like, Hey, um, every day for like from, from nine to nine thirty, you can think about this right in a healthier way and then you put it away for the day. So that's one way they can do it. Yeah. Another way is to just lessen the, um, lessen the memory's impact on like how bad it was maybe by pointing out some of the good things, like what about the valor you showed during battle?
1: Right, by saving your buddy's life. he died, and you watched him die, but you also tried to drag him to safety. So you tried, and you put yourself at risk, and... You really need to commend yourself for that. Like carry that around too. It's going to balance yeah. out the the horribleness.
0: So not like you need to forget all this, but you need to bring it back to an acceptable level where you can live your life.
1: Exactly. And one of the reasons or one of the reasons it's not at an acceptable level is because this memory has become so grossly exaggerated right. through the process of this um this I guess memory retrieval, fearful memory retrieval over and over and over again. And I it's think most people worse do and that. Worse.
0: Like I think most memories are enhanced Good they or are. bad, you know, like you remember like that prom in high school it was way better than it really was or that breakup that you suffered was really, actually those usually get better with time. But you know what I'm saying?
1: Right, yeah. I, but I think, Chuck, imagine that while you're, see, when whenever you retrieve a memory, you're adding to it. That's how yeah. like scents go from, you know, what you initially thought of right, exactly. to what, you know, 10 years after smelling the thing you think of. The same thing with... Fearful memory retrieval, but when your memory is being retrieved and your life is in the gutter and you're addicted to drugs and you're scared out of your mind, yeah, a- and then you compound that on the, onto the original memory, yeah. over and over again, then it's just going to get worse and worse and more and more exaggerated, yeah, and yeah, one of the one of the or the point of cognitive processing therapy is cognitive restructuring, like literally reordering the brain, right by taking that memory head on and saying, no, 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 like this didn't really happen like this and you're not paying enough attention to that.
0: Right, right. Uh, Another type of therapy that is not as fun, although I don't know if the other is actually fun, but uh, exposure therapy, is pretty hardcore. It's like the pull
1: your knees up to your chest and just rock back and forth kind of therapy. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's basically to relive it over and over and over um, in great detail, sometimes taking you to the actual place that it took place um, with the idea that eventually that fear extinction will happen and you'll get over it.
1: Right. Well, remember you were saying like um, the the song that was playing on the radio when when you got in a car
0: wreck. Right. They like to play that.
1: Well, welcome to hearing that song over and over and over again until it doesn't, again, when you're retrieving that memory in a certain context and bad things aren't happening and there's somebody reassuring you saying like, look, you're okay. Like everything's okay. Right. Then you're relearning that memory again without the fear associated with it. Yeah. But and you it, have it also, to go through hell to get there.
0: Yeah. And it also stops avoidance in its tracks, which is, you know, if you're, if you're avoiding something, oh, yeah. the complete opposite of that is immersion therapy like that.
1: Yep. And then uh, what they're finding is the best, the best results are coming from a combination of therapy, uh, and medication. Of course. Because it helps to not be freaked out of your mind when you're having to go through exposure therapy and reliving right. it. And a, a class of drugs that helps with that are uh, SSRIs.
0: Yep, our old friend, SSRIs, um, the two approved by the uh, U.S. Food and Drug Administration are Zoloft and Paxil. And those are actually the only
1: two drugs approved by the FDA to treat PTSD. Yeah. On label. Yeah. Not just the, the only two SSRIs.
0: So use those with your therapy. <laughs> right. uh, they also have something called uh, D-clicoserine. Uh, and um, that is actually, is that the one that's a anti-tuberculosis drug? Yeah. And they found that it also helps with PTSD. Yeah, they they
1: noticed that like it um, cut down on uh, fear by basically it, agonizes your N-methyl-D-aspartate receptors. NMDA? Yes. Now, the, and that enhances learning. So if you're going through exposure therapy, you got a little um, Zoloft going to keep you calm and chilled out.
0: And able to go through therapy.
1: And you're taking DCS at the same time to make you learn faster. Yeah. Um, then that would probably be a pretty good treatment for PTSD for some people.
0: Yeah, uh, beta blockers like uh, uh, pro, uh, that's have pro, been long known to decrease stress levels.
1: Yeah, and kill Michael Jackson.
0: Really? Was that what he was on? That was
1: the one. <laughs> his, his milk, he called it.
0: Oh, uh, well, he had like the drip going. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a little different than like. Oh yeah. Prescribed a pill, <laughs> but this is this
1: um, this drug specifically goes in there and basically like. Disconnects yeah. neurons so that they're you don't have that memory any longer. I read a paper once on on using this drug to treat PTSD, and yeah. like this guy was like, uh, "This is so effective that you're basically rewriting history." It's huh. like transhuman. It's it it has like that level of impact on some people. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, we mentioned earlier the army um, preparing soldiers for battle. Uh, it is not just happening in a uh, physical training way, like learn how to shoot guns and do things like that. Mm-hmm. Now it's happening very much on the mental level. Uh, it was formerly called Battle Mind. Is it not called that anymore? No. They, so That didn't from... surprise me that they changed it. Right. When was it from?
1: That was from Walter Reed Hospital too.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, now they call it resilience training. That's way better. Exactly. And it, it actually didn't even start out as something to help with PTSD, but they're learning that it can help. Um, it's basically- this They handle the seven phases of deployment uh, mentally. They prepare you mentally for the seven phases, mm-hmm. like pre-deployment, deployment, post-deployment, redeployment, um, and everything from, hey, when you're out of the Army or the Marine Corps uh, and you're driving your car around, you can't drive like you're angry and like you were over there. Right. If someone addresses you in an aggressive manner, you can't handle it. Like you did when you were in battle. Right. Um, you didn't have alcohol over there. Now you're back home. There's booze everywhere. You can't go crazy with that stuff. Yeah. And so all of that put together, they figured out ends up helping out, um, with PTSD. Like, rely on your family. They're trying to encourage stuff like this.
1: Right. Well, also, they, they think it works because they're using it ahead of time, like pre deployment as part of training as well. Right. So I think, like, being exposed to horrors ahead of time, Will kind of keep you from going through, I guess, as much of a trauma when you see it, the real thing, right? A month later, whatever. Yeah. What's interesting, Chuck, is the Iroquois um, had something like this. Oh yeah. Yeah. After like going in, going to war, they were basically sequestered from everybody else after they came back and were just Re-assimilated? Yeah, exactly. Huh. There was like a step down cooling period. Wow. That the Iroquois used. Cause they would go totally insane while they were in battle. Right. That makes sense. Resilience they would go berserk.
0: No, the Vikings went berserker. Yeah,
1: but I think, I think the Iroquois did too. Okay.
0: Okay. So we were talking about neurology being the key to this. Uh, one chemical that they have been studying is called Stathman, Jason Staffman. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that basically allows us to form, uh, fear memories from our experience. So they're obviously working with this and mice finding that lower levels of that are going to, Decrease our fear memories or yeah. our ability to form them at least. So that's pretty, you know, they're like, fighting this on a lot of fronts.
1: Yeah. Well, they're doing a lot of research and just need to put it together.
0: What else? Gastrin releasing peptide?
1: Yes. They found that um, apparently this this chemical like signals the brain, like, calm down, calm down. Right. And um, if you have uh, not enough of it, you have an increased chance that you're going to become fearful.
0: Right. Um, so that's another one. Uh neuropeptide why. We've what did we talk about that in? I don't remember. I know we've definitely talked about it. It's yeah. it's basically our own body's anti anxiety drug. And um the levels of this are gonna fluctuate depending on what kind of stresses and traumas we've been through. And once again, if that one's depleted, um then you're gonna be less prone to overcome obstacles mentally. Yeah, they're naturally. Actually,
1: they're trying to figure out how to synthesize it so if it's as simple as like Injecting some neuropeptide Y into somebody's brain following a trauma. Right. Just to get that little extra boost so you can, you know, take this on and process it and shake it off, I guess.
0: Ecstasy? Yeah, well, that's another one. MDMA? MDMA? Yeah. Uh, not surprisingly, when they've treated people with PTSD, they felt better. Yeah. Actually, but, but it was long-lasting, though, right? Or was that the mushrooms? I know he studied... Uh, that, hallucinogenic mushrooms?
1: I, yeah, I don't remember which one went back more more easily.
0: Yeah, I can't remember either.
1: But there was a guy in that study, the MDMA study, who was like suicidal for three years or two years? Uh-huh. Oh, no, that was something different, the stellate ganglion block. Oh, right. It's like an, an inoculation of just a local anesthetic. Right. Right? But uh, just above the clavicle. So it interrupts the, the uh, nerve transmissions. Of nervous. your uh, sympathetic nervous system, the fight-or-flight response. Yeah, so it physically blocks it. Yeah, and it works, apparently, and it can last. There was one guy in that study who was suicidal for um, two years, and he felt immediate relief. Wow. Yeah, yeah. the
0: ecstasy. I, th- I think you said that some people that experience relief had never experienced relief with therapy or any other drugs. Right. So uh, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And then our old friend, the uh, thinking cap. Mm-hmm. The transcranial magnetic stimulator. Um, I don't know if that's what they call it.
1: Is it? Yeah. Is it? Okay. Um, it's better than a thinking cap.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, they did a study in 2004 of 24 male and female patients suffering from PTSD. And, um, they hooked up, you know, the magnets to the head, stimulated blood flow to the brain. And they found out that it had a, a nice effect for the, for the people
1: (laughs) yeah yeah they think it increased metabolism or something like that man
0: i think it's a complicated thing so it takes a complicated (laughs) cure yeah you know because it's not just like well it's this one thing it's like all over the brain and it's emotions and it's like fear and memory it's just it's crazy well yeah not crazy go in
1: and undo a memory the way that somebody formed it yeah it's pretty interesting stuff. So thank you very much to uh, Will Sovey for his help on that. Uh, and remember, it's PTSD Awareness Month, so we hope we've made you a little more aware. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm very interested to see how the research pans out.
0: Yeah, me too. It seems like they made a lot of headway in recent years. Yeah, for
1: sure. Um, if you want to learn more about PTSD, you can go type the, those letters into the search bar at housetofworks.com. It'll bring up the old version of the article, but I'll work to get it updated. Okay? Okay. And since I said updated, it means it's time for, is it time for message break? Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> now what's your name? Yes. Okay. Uh, this is. I'm going to do a couple of D and D mails over the next couple of weeks because yep. we did a podcast on Dungeons and Dragons. Boy, people loved it. They did. That was a good one. Good feedback. Even uh, like the Uber nerds were like, "You guys did a great job." Yeah, there were a couple who were just
1: like, "You used the basic rule set." <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, people liked it.
0: Well, this is from Christina, and she was very nice. She is from uh, Cleveland, and that is Christina with a K okay. and a Y. Uh-huh. And she says, "Guys, I love your show." I'm Christina from Cleveland. Uh, I'm writing about the recent uh, D&D podcast because it reminded me of something that happened recently. Both of my parents are huge nerds and as a result had awesome nerd gaming daughters. That is me and my sister, of course. Anyway, when they were dating, my mom and my dad and my dad's four best friends, my uncles Bill, Larry, Calvin, and Carlton, would get together on weekends, play D&D all weekend long. Nice. Uh, Recently, when Uncle Carlton was in town, he brought his old... Real to reel tape recorder player and a bunch of uh, recordings of their D&D weekend sessions from the mid-80s. <laughs> I bet that's awesome.
1: It's like Brian Posen now.
0: <laughs> uh, it was a hilarious trip in the time machine, and every session had its own unique flavor. Anytime they were at Carlton's house, you'd hear jazz playing in the background, for example. And they always say Larry was a god among men as Dungeon Master. Uh, it was a ton of fun listening to my young dad and his buddies and their girlfriends and wives joking, drinking even a little toking uh-huh
1: oh my god
0: <laughs> and talking crap to each other while they played uh the one story that they always tell is when carlton brought a friend who was new to the group and loaned him a super awesome leveled up axe since he knew he didn't have anything good starting out uh, when the friend wouldn't return it uncle carlton killed his buddy's character <laughs> got his axe back and they continued on uh thanks for everything christina
1: that's pretty awesome. That's a great D&D story. I would love to hear
0: those tapes. Thanks, Christina. <laughs> yeah, really.
1: Um, you know, Brian Posen's doing this, this podcast uh, where he plays Dungeons & Dragons with some friends, and they just record it. Same thing. Oh, really? But he releases it as a podcast.
0: I'll have to hear that. Yeah. I love that guy.
1: Um, well, if you want to tell us a great story about your parents, we love to hear those. Um, you can tweet to us at SYSKpodcasting. You can join us on facebook.com slash stuffyoushouldknow. Uh, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast@discovery.com. at uh, discovery.com. And by the way, thanks for the letter, Christina. I forgot to say that. Yeah. Uh, and as always, you can join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
1: Jack Threads has quickly become the online shopping destination for guys. Here's why. Everything on the site is up to 80% off. As a listener of Stuff You Should Know, you can skip the membership waitlist and get instant access at jackthreads.com slash K-N-O-W stuff. That's jackthreads.com slash no stuff.